T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today. Plan savings with three lines of T-Mobile essentials versus comparable available plans. Plan features and taxes and fees may vary. This time on Vet Story. I was uh, in the medical corps. 16th Infantry, 2nd Battalion. So we knew pretty well what we were getting into, but didn't know where or when. It was uh, tough. We were faced with 28 Panzer tanks for just one mile from the beach. Because the machine gun bullets were just like hail on the water, and we could hear them on the ramp. Seriously injured. But I picked him up and brought him out of their minefield. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization. You don't think of giving up. You just think of you've got to move forward. You've got to move forward. Welcome to Vet Story. I'm your host, Navy veteran Phil Briggs. Vet Story is powered today by Radio.com, which is your top free radio app for sports, music, news, and talk. You can stream hundreds of radio stations from around the country and thousands of podcasts. One podcast in particular launches Monday, June 10th. It's called To War and Back, and I'm proud to be your host of that podcast series. It's six episodes that highlight my journey to go meet some U.S. combat veterans from the global war on terror era. Their stories are just incredible. From cheating death in Iraq and Afghanistan to surviving and fighting battles they faced when they got back home, the lives of these three American combat vets are truly unforgettable. They show you the power of medical marijuana, of how one guy's life is literally being saved by the use of cannabis and stem cells which in the case of one of our characters, uh, you couldn't even get in this country. So it's an amazing story there. Um, one's an above-the-knee amputee, and she demonstrates that anything, and I mean anything, is possible. So I'm really proud to take you on that journey, and you can find To War and Back everywhere you find podcasts, and you can download the Radio.com app from your app store today. Now let's get into today's story. It's June 6th which marks the 75th anniversary of the Allied invasion of Normandy, the operation named Overlord, which is also known as D-Day. The Army's website describes the significance of today like this. On June 6, 1944, more than 160,000 Allied troops landed along a 50-mile stretch of heavily fortified French coastline to fight Nazi Germany on the beaches of Normandy. General Dwight D. Eisenhower called the operation a crusade, in which we will accept nothing less than full victory. They attacked with more than 5,000 ships, 13,000 aircraft, and by day's end, the Allies finally gained a foothold in continental Europe. But the cost was huge. More than 9,000 Allied soldiers were killed or wounded. But their sacrifice allowed more than 100,000 soldiers to begin the slow, hard trudge across Europe to finally defeat Adolf Hitler's troops. You can imagine these troops being amassed in England, 
getting ready to cross the channel over to France. Thousands of ships lay waiting at anchor. Only one year ago, no such concentration could have conceivably escaped attack. And on the eve of this battle, President Franklin Delano Roosevelt gave an incredible prayer. My fellow Americans, in this poignant hour, I ask you to join with me in prayer. Almighty God, our sons, pride of our nation, this day have set upon a mighty endeavor, a struggle to preserve our republic, our religion, and our civilization, and to set free a suffering humanity. Lead them straight and true. Give strength to their arms, stoutness to their hearts, steadfastness in their faith. They will need thy blessings. Their road will be long and hard. For the enemy is strong. He may hurl back our forces, but we shall return again and again. The darkness will be rent by noise and flame. Men's souls will be shaken with the violences of war. Some will never return. Embrace these, Father, and receive them, thy heroic servants, into thy kingdom. And, O Lord, give us faith. Give us faith in thee, faith in our sons, faith in each other, faith in our united crusade that will spell a sure peace, a peace invulnerable to the schemings of unworthy men, and a peace that will let all men live in freedom, reaping the just rewards of their honest toil. Thy will be done, almighty God. Amen. And just as June 6, 1944, will forever be remembered as the battle that changed the course of history, my guest today will forever be remembered for his bravery on the beach that day. Ray Lambert was an Army medic who fought on Omaha Beach. He fought to keep men alive. And he, along with author Jim DeFelice, has put all those memories into the book Every Man a Hero, a memoir of D-Day, the first wave at Omaha Beach, and a world at war. Now, I've interviewed authors and talked about books plenty of times. But when I talked to Ray, it was way more than just an interview. It was a conversation, like a conversation with your grandfather or your great-grandfather. This was easily one of the most inspiring phone calls I've ever made. Yes, go ahead. Hi, good morning, Mr. Lambert. Phil Briggs, ConnectingVets.com again. How are you? I'm fine. Wonderful. Great to hear you today, and you sound good. Well, I'm pretty good. You know, I've been talking a lot lately, uh, every uh, single day for now over a month. I've had interviews every uh, half an hour. For Today I've got interviews every half hour, so I'm giving everyone 10 minutes uh, to talk that I've had NBC here, CBS is coming on the 21st, 
So I'm a little tired out, to tell you the truth, but I'm uh, glad you called. Well, I appreciate you, and uh, just, you know what, since uh, since time is of the essence and your celebrity is needed everywhere, <laughs> chat with me. Well, I, chat with me. I don't think of my, uh, myself as a hero or celebrity. I'm just another <laughs> veteran. Well, you're a damn fine storyteller, so well. <laughs> let's start with that. Share with me how it began for you. When did you join the service, what, uh, what branch, and uh, where'd you go? I joined the service in 1940, uh, and I joined with the 1st Infantry Division, went from there to Fort Benning, Georgia, uh, got my basic training there, and then we uh, the held maneuvers all over the United States, and uh, when I, uh, when we left, I went up with an advanced detail to go to England, we went to Tisworth, England, and that was our uh, heading up for the rest of the division to come over there. So that's that part of it. <laughs> what was your MOS? I was uh, in the medical, I was uh, in the medical corps, hmm. 16th Infantry, 2nd Battalion. Uh, I went to school at... Uh, Denver, Colorado, actually Aurora at the Fitzsimmons General Hospital. And I didn't, I left there and went into the service. And uh, I was not a, a doctor. I was a so-called technician. I was a staff sergeant with the 2nd Battalion Medical Section uh, in World War II, of course. We're mm-hmm. talking about that. So... That's what I was doing. In my generation, we had 9-11. And I know that on that day, every young man and woman kind of looked up and said, wow, this is this is a war, and I'm getting ready to get the call to serve. Uh, was it the same way for you when Pearl Harbor happened? Pretty much, uh, yes. Uh, we had been training, and the military had done very little and since World War One, and we were in a... Really, uh, uh, getting in people, drift, uh, drafting, of course, at that time, and uh, building very fast. And uh, yes, I, I would. I think we all felt that way. Yes. Mm. Now, talk to me about the day. Obviously. <laughs> Right after Pearl Harbor, we start maneuvering and we start getting our troops in order and we start building the force. Um, what did they tell you the day before or the 24 hours up to the Normandy invasion? Well, first of all, I did the first invasion I was in was in North Africa at Oran. Uh, we invaded that. Our, actually, our zoo, our first mission was to take Oran. So I fought through North Africa after... Uh, that we made invasion of my division, first division made invasion of Sicily at Gila, and I fought through uh, Sicily. And then we went back to England. Uh, we started getting, we got replacements and started training those guys, and we knew that we were going to make another invasion. We didn't know where at that time or when. But from our experience on how our training had been in for the invasion of North Africa and Sicily, 
we knew we were going to make an invasion. And uh, no one does, you know, as far as what did anyone tell me, I can't remember anyone telling me very much. We didn't have to be told anything. We were in making uh, landings, slaps and sands in, in England and training. So we knew pretty well what we were getting into, but didn't know where or when. How did it differ from the Africa campaign or the Italy invasions? Um, were you met with the same kind of fierce fighting on the beach? No, the invasion of North Africa at Arzu was relatively easy compared to the other two. Gila, uh, where we invaded in Sicily, was uh, tough. We were faced with 28 Panzer tanks for just one mile from the beach. Yeah. And those tanks were laying right in on us there. And we had not at that time gotten in our uh, anti-tank uh, guns and uh, to fight, uh, fight the tanks with. So the soldiers uh, were fighting with everything they can, sticky bombs as we called them on the tanks. And uh, it was a heck of a fight there. And... That, I think, for the first uh, uh, hour, was uh, we were not sure where we were going to make it or be pushed right back into the water. And so, fortunately, our guys, or the infantry, was doing a great job of fighting there. And we finally got in some anti-tank guns and C Company. Uh, and was able to knock out some of the tanks. The battleships knocked out a couple of the tanks. So they uh, retreated. The tanks backed off, and we were able to move forward there. But that was very, very hard fighting there. And also and, uh, we had some terrible battles at Troina in Sicily, some of the uh, the hardest fighting that that uh, we had been into at that time, certainly. So we were not uh, surprised very much that we were going to get uh, into a real dogfight on on the day that we made the invasion of, of France. Mm, amen. It is certainly one of the biggest days of history, and it is certainly one of the greatest battles ever fought, and I, it forever changed the world. Um, you've documented it in your book, Every Man a Hero. Is there any specific part of that book that you could share with us right now, any specific story that you really hold near and dear to your heart? Well, I think that uh, <clears throat> when you're in the service, that the thing that's most important to you of course, is to try to stay alive yourself, but the care of your of your brother soldiers. And uh, there were a number of times. My job is uh, in the battalion medics. We had uh, doctors in the first aid station, and my uh, job was with the first aid station. We were face close as close to the front lines as possible and my job was to take care of the men sign them into their jobs litter bearers and company aid men 
and look after the supplies and that sort of thing. Uh, every battalion had a staff sergeant that headed up as far as the uh, uh, the enlisted men went. I was offered a commission a number of times, but did not want to leave my men. Had I left them, I would have been transferred out of the medics to a line company, and uh, I didn't want to uh, leave my guys, so I turned the commission down. Twice I did that. Hmm. But anyway, the thing that I, uh, <clears throat> several things that I did, I guess that I didn't have to do, but uh, I, you ask about the care of, uh, I'll repeat your question again. I've, I've got someone sitting in the other room just trying to wait. I get confused. I don't like that idea. But repeat that question, would you? Will do, sir. And again, appreciate you so much. Um, I was wondering about that particular day. How is it that you were able to take cover? It seems, as everything I've seen before, that there was virtually no no place to get cover. And as a medic, you had to take care of your guys, had to take care of the troops. Right. That, that brings me back to the, a little bit. I was thinking it's, uh, one of the uh, is talking about care. My job was to care, try to save lives and care for my men and the infantry guys. And uh, once in um, North Africa, we, we were, my driver and I was uh, moving forward behind the infantry to, to get a place where we could get up close to the front line with the aid station. And we saw a guy that is, there was a lot of mines. There. The Germans, when they retreat, always lay a lot of mines. And uh, some uh, soldier had stepped on a mine, and he was uh, laying in the minefield only for a second that this, uh, I guess, laying there before we got there. But I, my driver wanted to go in and get him, and I said, no, I just, that's my job. I said, I'll go in and get him. So I went in the minefield, followed this soldier's tracks in, went in the minefield, and he had been uh, stepped. He had uh, set off one of those uh, bouncing baby mines, and he was injured, uh, seriously injured. But I picked him up and brought him out of the minefield, and we got him to the aid station and uh, sent him on back to the regimental, and then from there on back to collecting stations and. From there to hospitals. Mm -hmm. Years later, after I was out of the service, that guy uh, looked up, looked me up, and called me and thanked me for going in the minefield that day and getting him. I didn't do that for any kind of medal or any rewards or anything of the sort. It was I felt it was my job to do it, and I went in and got him out of there. I did that also, it, again, got a guy out of a minefield. <clears throat> and so those are the kind of things that, that you do as a medic. It's part of your job to save, those, save lives. And so 
So it's uh, it just came to me as a natural thing to do. Amen. It's a relationship I think a lot of folks don't appreciate or maybe don't know about because it's unique to the military and your generation especially has given us something to really look up to and set the standard for all that would follow you. Um, my last question is just specific to, uh, you know, that day. Did you know that we would eventually take that position? Were you there till the very end? When we went in, we got in and went in on the Higgins boats, of course, and we had... Uh, 27 men uh, on most ticket boats, some had 30. But on the boat I was on, there was 27 of us, seven medics. I was with the Secretary and Headquarters Medical Group and some infantry soldiers on our boat also. My company aid men were assigned to their companies, and they went in with the infantry companies on, on their boats. When we got in, uh, I had been through the invasions enough to know that we were going to face machine gun fire. I'd seen a, on the boat that we loaded on in uh, England coming over, they had mock-up tables on the ship. So we knew we some some idea of where the gun emplacements and things would be that the Germans had. So when we got off the boat, I told the guys to go underwater as far as they could because the machine gun bullets were just like hail on the water, and we could hear them on the ramp before the ramp went down. And that hopefully would save some of the lives from getting machine gun bullets right off. Well, that uh, sounded good, and uh, so we just found out that the Germans had barbed wire and mines under the water. And many of our guys, when I went off, I got shot through the right elbow with something. I, it wasn't a, I would say shot, maybe it was fragmentation, but anyway, something went through my right elbow, mm. shattered the bone there just a little bit. And I went on off and I went in water <clears throat> over my head and there was a guy hung up on the barbed wire. And first guy that I tried to save was that guy, which I did. I got him out of the, off the barbed wire and then got him on through until he could get into where he could walk in the water. And so that continued. Uh, I was, my arm was uh, bleeding some, but that didn't bother me too much. And so I kept uh, getting guys from drowning. Our big, big concern was the infantry guys that had their rifles. We wanted to get them up front so they could organize their companies and get off the beach and uh, advance up the hill. There was a machine gun right in sight of us, uh, two, two different ones, and they were firing right, right at us and killing guys there. So... I kept uh, trying to get uh, uh, saving guys and getting some were drowning, some were wounded. Very difficult to try to treat the wounds because it, everything was wet. The water was uh, was waves coming in, so wet sand. It was just a terrible place to try to do, but we did the best we could, and we saved many lives. But there was no place between us and the machine guns. 
to get behind or uh, no no way at all you could uh, avoid that some of it, when we had a lot of the guys got killed and dead some of the guys would get behind those dead guys hoping that they would avoid some of the uh, machine gun to as i was looking around there was a large uh, what we thought was a rock at the time and it turned out to be where the germans had dumped some uh, obviously more concrete than they needed on the beach just into the water's edge and so i instructed uh, some of my guys to let's get the wounded in behind that rock and to keep them from getting killed after they were wounded and there was no way to set up an aid station at that time so we were getting as many as we could behind that rock and that was the only place on the beach that was there any possibility of uh, getting a guy to save his life had you tried to treat them on the beach machine guns were scraping that beach just like uh, there wasn't one spot on it that I can think of that wouldn't have been uh, that you could, wouldn't have got killed. Wow. We lost 4,000 guys that day, uh, and that just gives you an idea of how the firepower was. At any moment, do you recall anyone thinking that the task might have been too big, the mission was just too dangerous? Was there ever thought of giving it up? Not by the soldiers, uh, not by us, because we, when you're in a fight like that and everything is going on, the tremendous noise, uh, mortars coming in, long-range artillery, machine guns, every conceivable kind of firepower that you could get, your mind is not, you don't know how bad it is other than where you are and you don't really know you don't think of uh, that we can't do it because that's just not it's just not something that a a good soldier or or any good navy man or whatever it happens to be you don't think of giving up you just think of you've got to move forward you've got to move forward and you're encouraging everyone else, and especially the infantry soldiers, to move forward, get through the next uh, barbed wire. And so they had to put in, uh, blow up to the next barbed wire and get through that. But there were uh, General Bradley and the other guys that were back on some of the other ships were wondering how it was going. And, we found out later uh, that there was that they had some question, but they uh, they had a question of how well it was going and whether what they should do about it. But the decision was made to for us to move forward and fight to fight out and go after the Germans. Mm. Amen. Well, we'll leave it right there, Mr. Lambert. Uh, the book, again, is is just an amazing 
read, and it's every man a hero. I can't thank you enough for taking me back in time, sharing just a glimpse of what that was like, and most certainly could never thank you enough for your generation and eventually changed the world. I want to thank you and all the guys, all the people that uh, interview me here and all these that Fox and NBC and CBS is coming in, as I said, on the on the 21st. I welcome these people. It's a pain in the seat of your pants sometimes. But on the other hand, I just hope that some of this news may rub off on some of those people and they realize that if it wasn't for guys uh, in the military, all military, willing to sacrifice their lives and fight for their families and fight for this country. So thank you also for doing this. Well, we can't thank you enough for sticking around, and we wish you many more. You're just one hell of an American. Look forward to meeting you one day. Uh, yeah, I, I look forward to meeting you too, and have a good day. All right, sir. Take care.